Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. First, we're going to do our, our other thing. Praise God. Colossians. How many has been doing this? Don't raise your hand because I don't want you to have to repent because you lied. <laughs> I need you to do this, okay? Or you need to do this. I've been on the, in the morning and on the way to work. I go through this every morning, declaring this, these scriptures and then making my declaration. And, and I have come to the place, after years and years of practicing this, I've come to the place where I realize that I understand very little about living in the kingdom. And I want to know more about it. Amen? Read this with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Amen. Say this, Jesus is my King. I am a citizen of His kingdom. I live and dwell in His kingdom. Therefore, I have access to the privileges and provisions of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Oh, you need to be doing that every day. You need to, you need to be growing a tree in your brain. Amen. Where it lives there has a place to live and bear fruit. In uh, Matthew chap, uh, chapter 6 and verse 33, how many can quote this? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added to you. Hallelujah. But seek first the kingdom. Of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you priorities we're gonna be talking about kingdom priorities today priorities we, we we constantly try to get our priorities straight how many understand that that uh, life maintenance will always overpower life purpose if you don't constantly bring yourself back to life purpose instead of life demand the maintenance of it maintenance life maintenance will run your life because we have to take care of things we have to keep up we have to keep the bills paid we have to take care of the kids we have to take care of the grandkids we have to take care of this we have to take care of that we have to you know this has to be done that has to be done and next thing you know we're just running trying to maintain life and a lot of us just get miserable in that. Some, some people actually enjoy maintenance, and that's, that's great. But for the most of us, we find ourselves kind of miserable because we're maintaining a lower level of what we were created for. In other words, we get up in the morning to just simply exist another day and to hang on to what we have another day. We don't, we don't understand overcoming. We, don't, we, we just understand just trying to make it. Some, like I said, some people enjoy maintenance, and, and that's wonderful. If you enjoy maintenance, that is absolutely wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But most of us have purpose that aggravates us because we're always giving our time to our maintenance and we never can get to purpose. 
One of the, one of the main things about, about being a leader is you have to revisit your purpose several times a week because maintenance will always overpower you because there's never an end to it. There's never an end to the demand. And if you're a doer, you'll always be doing for those, uh, that little saying I have, those that, there are those that do and those that don't, and those that, that do are always doing for those that don't. And so you're just always running yourself trying to keep up. The problem with that is there's never any advancement or growth because you're just trying to maintain. What we're trying to do this year with the, with the way we're approaching the preaching, the way we're approaching the gospel, is we're trying to do more than maintain our salvation. We're wanting to grow in God. We're wanting to grow in our knowledge. We're wanting to grow in our abilities to move forward and to attain the things that God has said that we can attain. God help us that it no longer be a dream or a fantasy, but it become a reality in our lives. Amen. Praise God. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means to incorporate the ways of the kingdom into our daily lives. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, it says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's talking about changing priorities, going from the old testament, the old customs of law to the new customs of the kingdom of God and changing our priorities. See, they they understood the priorities of festivals. They understood the priorities of of uh, the things that, that were in the law. And when they would when they would come to um, have communion, what we call communion today. They, they had food there. They had bread. They had drink. And when they'd get there, they would just go and eat and not wait on the, the rest of the people. And they would just eat and drink and, and leave. And there was, there was no community. There was no uh, togetherness. There was no purpose. And it was more about just eating and drinking because that's what the festivals had been about. It was a ritual that you went through. And so you did the ritual. But the gospel and the New Testament, the new declaration, is about relationship. Not just relationship with a function, but relationship with God and relationship with each other. And so Paul was, was addressing that and he was trying to, trying to help them understand. And then, you know, there was always this battle over the law and the festivals and, the, and grace and the kingdom of God. And there was this huge battle. I, I read about these things and I think, man, how did, how did the apostles keep it together trying to, trying to take people from a culture that was so ingrained in them and had just been so bound in their hearts and try to move them into a whole new way of thinking and a whole new mindset. It's the fact that they had to just constantly rehearse over and over and over. And, and they would preach the gospel and they would, they would begin to get people moved into understanding grace, understanding the kingdom of God. And then here would come some people that had mixed gospel and grace and, and law and, and rituals back together. And, and then Paul would have to address it and, and, and try to get them to understand that it, it's not about keeping the old circumcision and, and all that kind of stuff, but it's about 
about receiving the circumcision of the heart. It's about being separated inside, not just on the outside. And I can't even imagine what it was like trying to communicate something that new. And I mean, agape, the word agape, love, had not even been used until Jesus began to walk this earth. And he started using this new term, you know, relayed to God, that was this term called agapeo. A word for love that had never been used. They didn't even have reference for it. And so they had, to, they, they had to get adjusted to this new love that didn't require anything. Wow. A love that you didn't have to perform to get. And Jesus started talking about this new love. Peter couldn't get it. On the seashore, after he had failed, Jesus said, Peter, do you agapeo me? And I think Peter said something about, I, I phileo you. Or, you know, you, he used some other word for love, which means I, I respect you above all others. And Jesus said, Peter, do you agapeo me? In other words, do you love me without me having to perform for you? And Peter would reply with, well, I respect you above all others. And finally, the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you respect me above all others? He dropped down to Peter's level, and that's when Peter began to weep and say, God, Lord, only you know. You know, he couldn't grasp this concept. And today, all these years later, we're still trying to grasp this concept of agapeo because it doesn't make sense to humanity. Performance-based love is the main system of love that man understands. You treat me good, I treat you good. You love me, I love you. But then God turned this thing around and sent Jesus and declared, I loved you when you were unlovable and couldn't even love me. And yet I loved you. And so there's this concept that begin to change. And here, Paul, in, in Romans chapter 14, uh, 14 verse 17, Paul is, is telling them the kingdom of God is not about the rituals that we have, we have used to try to get to God. They're not about our ordinances. They're not about our festivals. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not about what you do outwardly. It's about what inhabits you, what's on the inside of you. Matter of fact, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. They were saying, when, when is the kingdom coming? You know, show us the kingdom. And, and they kept talking about the kingdom, and the disciples thought Jesus was going to establish his throne on this seat on the throne of David. He's going to rule and reign. And Jesus kept telling them, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I'm not going to set up a physical throne on this world. I'm going to set up a throne in you. The kingdom of God is in you. And so he said it's the kingdom of God is righteousness. Righteousness is that stand of being acceptable to God, that place of being acceptable to God. And there's not a one of us that can perform up to the level of being acceptable to God. Amen. But Jesus could. And so we have become 
the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise God. There, there's, there's been a provision made for us that we can come into the kingdom of God and be, be acceptable because therefore being, just, Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified. We have been, we have been re relieved of all guilt. In other words, we stood before God in filthy garments, unable to defend ourselves, justify ourselves, or have an excuse for our behavior, with Satan condemning us and accusing us with legal right before God. And Jesus steps forward and says, I forgive you. And puts a white robe of righteousness on us, takes our filthy rags off of us and put a, puts a clean, white, beautiful robe of righteousness on us and brings us before God and says, acceptable, acceptable. We enter the kingdom of God because he has, he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Second Peter chapter 1, it, it says that he has, he has made us partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. In other words, there is a nature from God, a divine nature from God that he has called us and qualified us to partake in. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, we can partake in that. Have you ever seen somebody that you thought, man, I'd like to have that, that way of doing things? You know, there, there's people that I, I, I watch some people and, I, and I, I just have so much respect and appreciation for the way that they're able to handle situations or the way they're able to do this or way able, able to do that. And I think to myself, man, I would love to be able to do that. You know, I'd love to be able to handle it like that. I listen to some of these guys that on TV that, that preach of Stephen Furtick, and I, I'll, I think that's a, that's the name, Steve Furtick, and I, he's a young guy, ain't right <laughs> to be that young and be able to preach that good. And I listen to him and I think, man, what it'd be like to be able to build a message like that, you know, and communicate a message. Him and Ron Carpenter and T.D. Jakes, and there's several that, that have this ability to just communicate a message to the point that you get it. I mean, you get it. And when you get it, it's just like something leaps up inside of you. Come on. And, and when we understand that, and we look at that, and we say, man, I'd like to be able to do that. When we look at, at Jesus, now get this, when we look at Jesus and we see how good he is, how righteous he is, how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how loving he is, how at peace he is, how much joy he has. We look at Jesus and see all the attributes and we say, man, I would like to be like that. And, and Jesus looked back and said, I qualified you that you can partake in my nature. You can receive my nature. You can be just like me oh hallelujah 
and all of a sudden we get a gift, we get a power, we get an ability that's beyond what we have, what we can do, and, and something starts manifesting in our life that didn't come from our gene pool on earth, but it come from a gene pool in heaven, and all of a sudden we begin to act like a different person. We don't, we don't just have DNA from this world. We don't just have the characteristics of our families, but we got a characteristic that's, that's not of this world, and it is the characteristics of God himself. And he said, you have been made possible. You have been qualified to be a partaker of everything I am. Oh, my goodness. That is beyond amazing. Praise God. Because I need that character. I need that divine nature. How many can agree with me? Amen. Praise God. How many? How many? Let's just make this easy. Say, man, there's a lot of people in here needs that. There you go. We got it over with. When we, when we understand the entrance in the kingdom of God and the kingdom priorities, then we begin to see that, that when we begin to put the things of God first, then everything else begins to fall in place. But when we try to get everything in place so that we can seek God, everything falls apart because it's, it's actually impossible. You can't get things lined out. You can't get yourself lined out to the point that God's going to be able to accept you. You've got to accept the acceptance of the blood of Jesus first. You've got to enter in. You've got to, and we were praying uh, with the elders in the, in the uh, office this morning, and, and I said, God, teach us how to sit down at your table and eat. We don't know how. Sometimes we actually get in the room, but we feel awkward and we feel like we're strangers in the presence of God because we don't know how to just sit down at the table and start visiting with Jesus and having a good conversation and eating at his table and receiving what the kingdom of God has supplied. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness the ability to have a right standing with God, and that standing is through Jesus Christ. Now, our behavior matters. You know, if you're not careful, you get to, if, if, you, if you look at righteousness and grace and all that, if, if you look at that only, you can develop a doctrine that says it doesn't matter what I do because Jesus justifies me. But it does matter what you do. It does matter what you, because there has to be a manifestation, an outward manifestation of an inward transformation. If there's not an outward manifestation, there has been no inward transformation. Because what Jesus said, it's what comes out of us. Amen. It's what comes out of us that, that, that uh, spoils the water or whatever, it makes it bitter. Jesus said, said, you know, corrupt things and clean things shouldn't be coming out of the same well. So, and, but a lot of us, you know, you look at that and you say, well, why I received that. Why doesn't it just always work in my life? Well, that's because we are changed and transformed by the Spirit of God, by His power, but, but being able to walk in it comes through practice. 
changing your mind, changing your heart, getting priorities established in a right way because you cannot just all of a sudden change the priorities of your life. You can be gloriously saved and transformed by the power of God, but within three weeks, you'll be back to your old habits if you don't embark on a discipleship that literally begins to change and challenge your way of thinking. We've seen a lot of people gloriously saved, and we've lost a lot of people that was gloriously saved because we don't understand that you have to begin to practice and emulate the things that is taking place inside of you. Amen. Oh, praise God. It would be like God investing in me the desire and endurance to run a long-distance race, but me never getting out of the chair and practicing. My mind and my spirit would be ready, but my body would be saying, that's a joke. Ain't going to happen. So part of me would stop the rest of me from being able to function in what has been put in my heart to do. Just going to let that lay there for a few minutes. Come on. Amen. Praise God. I'm one of those guys that says, if it hurts, move it. If it's hard to do something, you need to do it, do it a whole bunch more. You know, that's my philosophy. You know, if, I, if I'm doing something and all of a sudden I realize I'm having a hard time doing that, then I force myself to do that because I don't like limitations. I don't like weakness. You know, if I, if I get down at work and I find myself having a hard time getting back up, I start making myself get down and get up, get down and get up, get up. Why? Because I know that there's a part of my body, there's a part of me that is trying to restrict the rest of me from accomplishing the goals that I want to do. And so I need to, I need to get that part that is restricting me in shape so that it cooperates with the rest of me. Amen. If your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak, what's going to happen? Flesh is going to win. Amen. Oh, boy, you get talking about this stuff, especially in January. It gets really tight because there was a lot of, there was a lot of declarations made, you know, New Year's Day, and, and we've already lost it. Gym memberships soar out of sight in January, but by March, the gyms are empty. Why is that? Because it's a good idea, but all of us ain't on board. Every part of this isn't on board. But you get every part of this on board with something, you're going to do it. You're going to accomplish it. You're going to make that happen. Amen. Oh, i got to quit meddling. I'm, I'm meddling too much. Don't tighten up on me. Pastor Earl Blancett, when he'd, he'd start doing that, he would... He would always stop and say, folks, I have a, I have a license to meddle. I have a license. <laughs> 2 Corinthians, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me real fast. We was already talking about this. I want to read the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become the righteousness. How many, everybody say, I'm becoming. I'm becoming. Amen. Now, spiritually, you have already got it. I want you to grab hold of this. Spiritually, it's already been downloaded into you. But your soul and your body has to be trained in what your spirit has received. Okay? This is, this is where we lose it in Christianity. This is where the church gets weak, is we don't realize that what we get from God in our spirit has to be practiced by our body and our soul. We have to train our minds to think. We have to be renewed and put off the old man who grows corrupt. By the according to the world, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man who's created in Christ Jesus. If we're gonna, if we're gonna have what Jesus, what the kingdom of God has given us, we're gonna have to, we get inspired, or we get a download in the spirit, and we fantasize about it, but then it fades away. How many's ever made up your mind, I'm going to fast this week? And boy, you feel, you get inspired because, man, I'm going to be full of the power of God. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to be full of the power of God, and miracles are going to happen and everything because I'm going to fast and pray, and I'm going to really get full of God. But that first morning when you wake up and you're supposed to be fasting that week, you are starving to death like you've never starved before. I mean, all of a sudden, you feel like you've already been fasting for a month. Your body is saying, excuse me, I didn't agree to this. We didn't have a, this is a democracy, you're supposed to be, I didn't get a vote in this. And that's where you stop and look at your body and say, this ain't a democracy, this is a theocracy. And you're going to do what I tell it to do. That's what we have to do. I mean, we have to, we have to get ourselves in line, see? And, but whenever it comes time, inspiration, fantasizing about it is exciting. But when it comes time to actually apply ourselves to the work, then we realize this is no longer exciting. And I no longer feel inspired. Amen. Praise God. If you want, if you want I, I, have, I have spent eight to ten hours in prayer before, day after day. I mean, committed myself to spend that much time, literally, the, like I would work on a job. I've, I've punched the clock and said, this is what I'm going to do, just like I would go to work and work a job, and I'm going to do this. And i got to tell you something. You have to get past the lack of inspiration because your brain literally runs wild with you. All the things you need to be doing. I mean, all the things you'd like to do, all the things that you want to build, all the things that you've got to take care of, all the, thing, all the plans. I'm, your brain just starts running everywhere, and it just gets wild, you know? And, and if you're not careful, you, you're, you'll, be, you'll be praying, and your brain is just you know, off somewhere else, or else you're thinking about somebody did you wrong. Or you, you know, all these thoughts just start flooding your mind, and, and you're supposed to be praying and seeking God. 
and you got to stop every few minutes and say, God, forgive me. My mind is wandering. Mind, get back in here. We are praying. We are seeking God. Amen. But I got to tell you something. There comes a time when all of a sudden, you, well, not all of a sudden, it seems like all of a sudden, but it's a progressive thing, where you begin to grow into this thing to where prayer begun, be, begins to be your desire. Communicating with God, it takes a little while, but communicating with God all of a sudden becomes what you want, what you desire. And you begin to want to get up in the morning and get in the prayer room. You begin to want to be there. And after a while, two to three hours can go by. And, and you don't even realize it's been two to three hours. Why? Because the presence of God is feeding you. And that's what you're excited about. And that's what that's what's because all of a sudden your your whole being has come into unity of what your priorities are. But it don't happen overnight. It, it takes structure, it takes commitment, and it takes a desire that goes beyond your desires. Does that make any sense? I mean, I desire to see the manifestation of God more than I desire the things that I want. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things to be added to you. Amen. All these other things to be added to priorities, getting your priorities in line with the Word of God is, is paramount to being able to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. Praise God. When we, if we don't do that, man, I've got a bunch more, but I'm just going to close. I feel like we've, we're processing this. If we don't do that, we're never going to realize what we spend a lot of time fantasizing about in the body of Christ. We talk about, man, I want a great awakening. Well, yeah, but what is an awakening? Awakening is where you wake up. You stop dreaming and you wake up to the reality of what's going on. You wake up to the reality of God. You wake up to the reality that, hey, God's right here with us. And he's overpowering the things that are trying to overpower me. And so if I'll just get in line with God, then I believe this stuff can happen. Believe me, I've got... There, I, too many things trying to come out all at one time here. I understand what it is to be a dreamer. I'm a visionary. And I have to, I have, I see things. I have to pray them through. I have to commit to them without ever seeing them. And I've got to, I've got to commit myself to it. Because if I'm not careful, I just, I just dream about it. I have visions that I dream about. Does that make any sense? But visions aren't to be dreamed about. Visions are to be realized. But when they are so far outside of what you feel like your pay grade is, then you are apt to spend time dreaming about it, but you don't know how to get there. You don't know how to accomplish this thing. You don't know how to get this into your life. 
But the way you get it in your life is application. You have to apply yourself. And you have to commit yourself to it. Amen. When, you're, when, you're, when you hire on to a job, you have to learn that job. You have to commit yourself to it. You have to learn that, don't you? Because if you don't, you're not going to last there very long because they expect you to perform in that area. Amen. If, 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 I, if I get loaded into the back of an ambulance and Matt Means is there, I want to know the guy's committed to what he's doing. Amen. Isn't that right, Matt? I want to know that he studied, and I know he has. But I want to have, you, you, you put your confidence in that. And if you don't do it, it ain't very long, you won't work for the Taney County Ambulance District. Isn't that right? Yeah. Because people don't tolerate that kind of stuff. Why do we tolerate that kind of stuff out of ourselves? When God speaks to us, when we have something in our heart that we think, we, we know that God has called us to, why do we allow ourselves to blow it off and to not commit to that? If God said it, we need to, we need to say, hey, you know, I've, ha I've had people that come to me all the time saying, hey, God told me to do this, and God told me to and, and it, God's always telling them to do something different. And a lot of times I stop and I say, whoa, hold on. God's not schizophrenic. What did he tell you to do? I'm not seeing anything out of that. You told me that God told you to do this, and you've not done anything about it. Now, did God tell you to do that? If God told you to do that, you need to either die trying or get it done. <laughs> it's time to quit dreaming it's time to quit fantasizing. It's time to stop talking about it and, and start applying ourselves and saying it's happening because I am committed to the process. I'm committed to the pain. I'm committed to the rejection. But I'm also committed to the victory. Because by... God, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. That's what David said. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered him out of them all. The enemy might come in one way, but he'll depart seven. Oh, you're talking about scared. When the devil comes in one way and can't get out of there fast enough, has to, and, and they disperse seven different ways, that's, that's scared. Amen. When, when the enemy comes something like a fud, the, the Spirit of the Lord raise up a standard against him. Amen. That word standard is not just a light term. I've heard people debate over that scripture, who's bringing the flood and who ain't. And that, that don't make any sense because what he's talking about, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, I realize there's supposed to be a comma here, a comma here, Come here. You just need to understand the essence of what he's saying. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. That word standard is a flag. It means that God steps forward, the enemy's rushing in on you, and God steps forward with a flag that declares us to be his. His territory. Hallelujah. And the Lord raised up a standard against him. In other words, God, I am crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. Amen. His banner over me is love. God owns me. And when the devil comes in to try to take what God has given me, God steps in and waves a flag and says, you really want to do this? You really want to mess with my kids? 
You want to mess with my granddad? I cannot even imagine being in, in a place where somebody come in and tried to abuse one of my grandkids. And just, and, and I mean, my standard would quickly be raised up against them. And there would be no question about the fact what was going to happen in that situation. And that's the way God is. He's got kids. We are his kids. We belong in his kingdom. And when, when the enemy comes in against the child of God that is marked, branded with the brand of God, we are marked with the brand of God, and the devil comes against us, God steps in and says, excuse me, do you not know who they belong to? Those are my kids. You mess with them, you mess with me. Oh, hallelujah. I like it when God steps up and says, excuse me, you mess with him, you mess with me. Amen. I've seen it happen over and over and over. We've got a loving heavenly father, and he wants to accomplish his works. He just needs us to get on board with it and say, I'm committed to the process, and I need to get my priorities in line with kingdom priorities. Hallelujah. Stand with me today. Yeah. Praise God. I said I was closing. I did. <laughs> Only took me 15 minutes to circle the airport before I landed. Oh, uh, thank God. Yeah. We've, got to, we've got to change our priorities. Seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Well, that's what we've got to investigate. How do you seek first the kingdom if you don't know what you're seeking? Amen. To seek, the, to seek means that you... You covet. This is the definition of this word seek, that you covet the things of the kingdom. I mean, you, are, you have such desire in your heart for the things of the kingdom, but a lot of us have this desire and we're thinking, okay, I desire it, but what is it? That's why we got to investigate. We got to launch in. We got to deep dive this thing and say, okay, God, what is it I'm seeking? The three things the kingdom of God is, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and everything else comes with that. Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you, God, for your anointing. Thank you, God, for this place.